I will tell you about my internship experience when I was in college. I had an awesome internship experience, and I had the privilege of doing it at the church that I had grown up in, which is a little bit dangerous because they know you pretty well, right? And also, in my case, my seven-year younger brother was in the youth group that I had the privilege of helping to lead. And in our, in our church setting, one of the things that we had was we had, a instead of a, a worship center that's devoted like we have here, it was a multi-purpose room that had a gymnasium. And one of our things that we loved to do before church started was to play kind of killer dodgeball games. Now, now when we talk about dodgeball, today, if you play dodgeball, you might be playing with a foam ball that like is really, we used to play with the rubber balls that would leave a mark. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And and I will tell you, uh, as I set this up, that, that little Sarah um, was in junior high. She had been invited to come to church for the very first time by a friend in the youth group. And she was nervous, but she decided that she was going to finally go to church with her friend. And um, just about the time that she entered into the church worship center, you guys are like, where is this going? It's bad. <laughs> I just, if, if, if you're, you have a weak heart, you don't want to hear this. So I'll just tell you this. So, so my little brother is off a little bit away from me. Now, Josh is six foot four. He played basketball against LeBron James. He was recruited by football teams all over the country. So don't feel bad for Josh, okay? So I, I wound up and put this playground ball into the air as fast and as hard as I could at my little brother. In love. I promise it was in love. And Josh did this limbo matrix move that was so impressive. The ball went flying over his body and in came into church for the very first time, little Sarah. And she took that playground ball right to the face. All right. Her glasses broke in half. Um, I told you I threw it pretty hard. And uh, there was a little bit of blood. Um, he was like, why is he telling us this story? Um, but what's interesting about it is that Sarah ended up putting up with us. She came in, she let us mop up the blood, got her in the seat. And in fact, it wasn't uh, too far away from that time that she ended up praying to accept Christ. She uh, fell in love with the Lord. And um, I love the fact that there was nothing that I was going to do that day that was going to get in the way of the gospel for her, right? And so she, as she opened that door, I'm guessing for some of us, though, if we ask ourselves this real question about the gospel, Paul's going to talk about this today. He's going to actually use that language about a stumbling block or a barrier to the gospel. And I'm guessing for some of us, when we understand the gospel, when we hear it, or when we've been surrounded by church things, maybe we've been invited to attend something, or we've had a friend reach out to us, share the gospel with us, that for, for some of us, we have allowed something small to get in the way of our understanding of receiving the gospel. I'm so glad Sarah didn't let that happen. And today, as we talk about the gospel, we're going to talk about what it means for us to be generous with it, what it means for us to be people who do what the Apostle Paul is going to model for us in his word today, where he's going to basically say, this is more important than everything else. I, I'm willing to set aside my comfort. I'm willing to set aside even uh, m misunderstandings about my motives as a pastor, or as a church planter, as a leader. And, and he's going to say, it's all about the gospel. It's about how we share the gospel, how we present the gospel to a world around us that desperately needs it. We believe it is the answer to the most significant questions of a person's life. 
And I want to begin this morning as we begin to search our hearts for this message. The first part of this is, why is it that I'm not generous with the gospel? Why is it that I find myself at times being hesitant to seek and to save what Jesus's mission was, to seek and to save that which was lost? Why is it that? Let's be honest about that in our life. Maybe it's our education or lack thereof. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe we like our job. We like our reputation. We want people to like us. But I'm guessing that for some of us, there's reasons why we choose to allow something small to get in the way of us being generous with the gospel. I love this, this statement in Isaiah. It says this, it says, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. And that, that context, it was about something else, but I love when I read that. I think that's a part of what my privilege is as a person who's placed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, is that I build up ways for people to understand the gospel. I, I wanna be a person who helps them to not just see it or hear about it, but to see it lived out in my life, in my lifestyle, in my actions, that they would understand that I am prepared to give an answer for the hope that I hold dear. You know, it's funny about Jesus. When Jesus was on the earth, the disciples felt like they needed to be like his offensive line, you know? Um, you guys like football, some of you do, and you know like that the, the job of an offensive lineman is to protect their quarterback or it's to, to make a way for the running back to come through. And, and, and when Jesus was doing, was, was loving people and caring for people through his earthly ministry, there were times when people around him were sick and they wanted to be healed. There were kids who in that culture didn't hold a high place in society that were pressing in to come to connect with Jesus and the disciples were protecting him from them. They were a physical barrier. They placed their bodies in the way of a person having access to Jesus Christ. And I can't help but think when I read about the Apostle Paul this morning, when we study his word together, our God's word together, and what he wrote to this early church, that, that you and I can potentially be people who get in the way of what God wants to do in the life of a person. That we can be a person who chooses to ignore the privilege that he's given us to give an answer for the hope that we hold dear. And we can be a person who, in Paul's language today, he's going to say it. He's going to say that, heaven forbid, that I am a person who puts obstacles in the way of the gospel. Can you imagine that? Uh, we moved some furniture around in our bedroom recently, and, and, and when the lights are off, I have hit my toe on the same stupid thing every time. You know, you guys know what I'm, can I show you the bloody toe? It hurts. Uh, that there, there's an obstacle, it's just moving things around that it, it, makes, it makes it not a clear pathway forward. That, that passage in Isaiah is beautiful when it said, we want to be people who make a clear path, a clear way for people to see the gospel. So obviously, a dodgeball wasn't going to get in the way of the gospel but for some of us, we need to recognize this warning that that's our privilege, it's our responsibility, it's what he asks of us. When Jesus said that his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost, Paul, as a disciple of Christ, a man who learned from Christ in person, that he's going to be a person who teaches us what that means to live that out. And I, I want to clarify, I think God's grace is sufficient. He's a God who pursues us. You can't get in the way of the love of God. But Paul is going to challenge us in this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. He's going he's gonna to share with us in this text a warning about allowing ourselves to get in the way of what, what God wants to do in people's lives. I, I, like, I like this statement that the gospel has been freely received and it should be freely given 
to others without concern about how it would be received or the cost to the giver. I think as we we talk about the privilege of being people who share the good news of the gospel, I, I shared it last week. I said this. I said, you know, especially when it comes to our kids, that we can take them to the water but we cannot force them to drink. We can agree with that. But I, I read a quote this week and I th- thought a lot about it, but you know what we can do is we can give them salt, right? We can encourage them. We can show them what it means to live a life that, you guys look at me like I'm strange. Have you ever been to the movie theater and ate a, a bu- bucket of popcorn and not bought the $14 pop to go with it? You guys know what you, the, the salt makes you long for something else, right? And I think that for each one of us, when we talk about the gospel, the apostle Paul had so understood the gospel in his own life. Because remember, he wasn't the perfect guy. He was fighting against the gospel at one stage in his life. But that God revealed revealed the gospel to him in such a way that he finally understood that the rest is just details. I want to be a person who's committed to recognizing the obstacles that can be put up for the sake of the gospel or the message. So, so the question I want to ask you first point this morning is what obstacles are we putting up to the gospel? I'm afraid that by making minor things major, uh, we, we seek agreement probably at times before a person comes to Christ or we want them to understand the fullness of the gospel without clarifying what it means to believe and be understood by the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we can make minor things, major things, and in that process, we can ignore the simple truth of the gospel. Paul said this in chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. I want to to note something in context, that in this section of scripture, we studied this last week, Paul often would set up a now concerning this statement. So last week, we looked at a now concerning this, and we talked about food sacrifice to idols and the marketplace, and I want to remind you that last week as we studied this together, Paul was quick to say, I want to be somebody who's willing to set aside my my stake, uh, my preference, my appetite for the sake of the gospel, for my weaker brother who doesn't quite understand the freedoms that he has yet or she has yet in Christ. So the text is about that subject still. And here he's going to use an illustration in his own life. And he's going to basically say, as we studied this unusual passage of scripture, he's going to say, as a minister of the gospel, I have the right to receive a paycheck from you. As a minister of the gospel, the apostle Paul is saying, I could have, I ministered amongst you, but I chose to be a tent maker. I chose to earn my own way. I received funds elsewise because I didn't want to confuse the relationship that we had. It wasn't going to be transactional for us, but it's going to be that I'm a person who was worth being supported by you financially. I just chose not to receive it. And the reason why he's going to say that is there are people who he's going to say in the text are judging him. They're, they're questioning his leadership. When Paul was here, he wasn't that impressive of a person, even though he was the founding father of our church in Corinthians or in Corinth. He, he was a person who, you know, he called himself an apostle, but really, did he really see Jesus? And and they're going to give their list of complaints and grumbling about the Apostle Paul. They don't, they're not too happy with his leadership in their lives. And I'm guessing also in the context, they had found that there were other people who preached messages that they liked to hear better. Uh, there, there were other individuals that were told in Scripture that we should be careful about surrounding ourselves, not surrounding ourselves with people who want to tickle our ears. 
And I think in the church, there was something that was changing. We see hints of this, that there were some people who would much prefer messages from Apollos or maybe one of Jesus's brothers or Peter, or there were other leaders in the church at this point. So they're saying, Paul, maybe this isn't a message for you. Maybe you don't have a message for us any longer. And so in verse one of chapter nine, it says this, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. So as we're going verse by verse through this, this study of 1 Corinthians and this church that we have called the prodigal church, that they're missing out on the blessing that God has given them. They're, they're eating the slop instead of sitting at the banqueting table that the Lord's provided for them. Now what Paul is saying is, you guys are questioning my apostleship. And, and what's so powerful for me about this is Paul's response back. Paul encountered the Lord Jesus Christ in what would have been an incredible moment in history. He was a man who was Jewish and he was persecuting Christians. He was there at the martyrdom of Stephen and he was a man who condoned it and he was a man who was really oppressing Christ followers. And then in Acts chapter 1 verses 21 and 22, we get this little snippet of what we call the Damascus Road encounter where Paul runs into Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord. And the Lord asks him a simple question, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And in that process, what the Lord does is he, he shares the truth of the gospel, that Paul was misunderstanding who the Messiah was, that Jesus is the resurrected Messiah. And from that point on, Paul's life was radically changed. We could say he was born again. He experienced the truth of the gospel in his life, even though he had resisted it. And so now Paul talks about that moment in history, not as, um, as a ghost of Jesus or hypothetical. He's like, I saw Jesus. <laughs> you know? I got to encounter the living God. And then he gets to describe this seal of apostleship. In the image behind the words on the screen, you see that, that wax seal, that stamp. Paul, Paul is saying, you guys are my resume. You guys heard my message. You heard my heart. You knew what I, the, the, the desire that I had for you to grow in your walk with the Lord. He's, he's, he's lamenting at some level, as he says this, the fact that they're a prodigal church. They're running from the things that God wants most for them. So then he says, this is my defense to those of you who would examine me. And then he asks this next question. Do we not have the right to eat and to drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? I, I want to pause here for a second. And uh, what I think they were doing back then is that they were aware that in those days, it would be very common if you listened to an orator or a speaker, a, a Bible teacher, that you would pay for your, their, you'd, you'd have tickets that you'd uh, invest in or there'd be a fee to come in. And so what they're complaining about, crazy as it is, is that listening to Paul didn't cost them anything. I, I think this is crazy. Allie had um, an extended family member that was a veterinarian in Bel Air, California. And if you don't know, Bel Air is like, uh, one of the more expensive areas to live in the country. And um, it was, it was a, he was a very gifted veterinarian, but his business was struggling for a while there. 
And, and as his business was struggling, he um, interacted with someone who gave him a recommendation as to how to help his business. And it was to charge more for his services. So uh, it wasn't just charge a little bit more, but it was to charge way more for his service. And guess what happened to his business? It took off <laughs> because people thought, well, if he's that expensive, he ought to be good, right? Well, well, the opposite was happening with the Apostle Paul because he's motivated. He doesn't want money to get in the way of the relationship. The ticket to come hear him speak was cheap. In fact, it was nothing. And so here people are standing back and they're saying, well, he must not be worth his salt then. He must not be worth listening to because here he is an individual that doesn't charge. And so Paul now is going to give a defense for individuals that receive support for ministry. And um, I think he's really clear about it. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? He's not talking about ever. He's talking about eating and drinking what you provide for my sustenance. Now remember that in those days, they prayed regularly for their daily bread. You and I have storage cabinets that hold our food and we, we wrestle, or we don't wrestle daily for our daily bread. Few of us do because we've been so blessed in our country. But, but in that context, it was a daily bread kind of thing. Don't we... Don't we recognize that I can eat and drink as a, as a servant of the Lord? And so here, they're, they're asking this question. And I think some in the church had apparently concluded that because Paul did not exercise his rights to raise support, he therefore did not have those rights. And it's a silly thing to say. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. This Cephas is Peter, what we, who we know as the man who denied Christ. The, the brothers, I love this part, as a man who has brothers that he loves, that he doesn't always throw dodgeballs at. Uh, that, uh, I, I love that, that Jesus' brothers became disciples of Christ in such a way that they would ultimately die for their faith because of the message of Christ. So he describes them and he talks about these guys' wives. And he says, isn't it our right? Isn't it my right? Even the Apostle Paul, he's saying, as a disciple, as a church planter, as a leader in the church, I have the right to bring my wife with me for you guys to take care of our needs, our family's needs. And this is a part of what he's saying. We have that right to do that. And, and I, as a disciple of Christ, the Apostle Paul is saying, I've chosen not to, um, to, to be that financial burden on you. I've, I've figured it out in other ways. I'm going to use my own hands to earn my way. Um, I, I think it's interesting for those of you who come out of other traditions that, that there is an emphasis in other church traditions on the line of the apostle um, or Peter and then apostolic authority. And it is very interesting that how, how bluntly the apostle Paul talks about bringing a wife along. And Peter, we, we know, was a married man that that those who would trace their line back to Peter and, and, and emphasize the um, lack of marriage in church leadership. Like right here, he's talking about the fact that from the beginning, this was a part of the privilege and blessing. And I say, hey man, I'm so thankful for that. That the Lord give us, gave us the privilege as pastors to, um, and teachers to experience his, his gifting in the area of marriage and to have families. But here, Paul is an example of a man who doesn't have a family at this time, and he's decided at this stage in his life that he's not going to pursue a family. So here, um, he, he's going to describe this. He's going to give us several um, illustrations as to uh, how a person who's in ministry is supported. He says, who serves as a soldier 
at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? He's saying you serve and you're, you experience the blessing of that service. Do I say these things in my human authority? No. Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It is, is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake. I want, I want to pause for a second here, and I want to, want to say uh, something. Charles Spurgeon preached on the same passage of Scripture, and he shared it with his church family. And as you read this, there's some obvious questions. It's kind of weird that um, the Apostle Paul is talking about receiving pay, and you guys know that Hope Church supports me financially. I receive a paycheck. We have missionaries that we support financially that receive a paycheck. And for some of you, are like, that's kind of weird. And um, I want to encourage you, though, that one of the things that I've recognized in my own life is that um, if I did not receive a paycheck, I do believe that, that many of the things that I would have the privilege of doing would be things that are a part of my life. They were a part of my life before becoming a, a pastor. They were a part of my life in patterns in terms of loving people, teaching God's word, caring for people. And, and I just want to say that I'm, I'm grateful for the Lord's provision. This church provides very well for me. This church cares about us. When when Charles Spurgeon preached on this, he, he said the same thing. He affirmed the fact that even in this very simple illustration of saying that a soldier doesn't have to figure out how to plant crops in their foxhole to pay their way or to, to eat. At, no, we're, we're blessed. You guys have provided abundantly, and we're so grateful for that. I also want to recognize that as he shares this, he says that, that that is never intended to be a burden on the church family. It's never intended to distract from what God wants to do. So when he says, because the plowman should plow and hope, and the thresher thresh and hope of sharing in the crop, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you. Some misunderstand. Paul was at times financially supported by other churches. He just said, I don't want to allow my support to get in the way of you understanding the truth of the gospel. So the message this morning is emphasizing that Paul understood how to prioritize the gospel, even in the midst of things that are financially complicated, or those, those questions. And I I think that it's important for us to, to recognize that that is what God wants to do in us, is he wants us to be people who keep the main things the main things. We keep the priorities that he has for us. Some of you uh, might have been like me. I grew up listening to J. Vernon McGee on the radio. Do you guys know that name? He uh, was a, a gifted radio preacher. He's gone to be with the Lord. I, the radio was always on in my house and Christian radio growing up, and um, there was a statement that J. Vernon McGee said about this particular passage of Scripture when Paul says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? He said this. He said, um, he said that you ought to support the place where you get your blessing. Suppose you go down to eat at a certain restaurant and you don't walk down the street and around the corner into another restaurant to pay your bill. You pay the restaurant that fed you. Yet many people do that sort of thing with their spiritual food. They get their spiritual blessing in one place and they give their offerings in another place. As he's saying this, he's, he's paraphrasing what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying it's appropriate for you to support the leaders that are in the church that are serving you. 
Then he goes on to say in verse 12, if others share this rightful claim on you, in other words, other leaders in the church in Corinth, do we not even more nevertheless, we've not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So, so this morning, this message, part, part of what we're saying is, Paul's just like, I'm not going to let anything get in the way. I love the picture that's in the background here of this, this stone wall that's been established in order to try to keep someone out. And he's like, I'm not going to let anything get in the way of the gospel. So the question that I want you to ask is, what is it that I allow myself to get in the way of communicating the gospel to a world that's around me that desperately needs it. I think one of the ways we do this, if we're honest, I made my own list, is that we confuse the messenger with the message. That we confuse the fact that, that God wants to do this work. This is his work. We get to join him in the process. And so confusing the messenger with the message. Do you guys remember the parable of the soils, Matthew 13? It's an incredible statement about individuals who've received the gospel and they, um, the, what we hope is that they produce a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what's sown. But I love the parable that Jesus taught, partially because he explained what he meant by it, which is helpful. Uh, but it's also helpful for us to understand the emphasis was not on the skill of the sower. Now, I, I can't grow anything. I, I try. We try to grow things at our house, and it rarely works. Some of you have green thumbs. I, I kill things. That's what I do. Um, but, but I want you to understand that when he uses that illustration, he's not saying the skill of the sower. He's actually saying the power is in the gospel. Isn't that great? So, so the confusion is not in the skill that it's presented in or the education of the person who's, it's, that, that, that is an excuse that some of us will use to uh, neglect doing the work of an evangelist. That's what Paul challenged Timothy to do. Hey, Timothy, you may not have the gift, but do the work. It's a part of your privilege to represent the love of Christ to others. Can you guys agree with me that it's easy for us to come up with excuses as to, to not doing the things that we should do? Um, I, I love this, this story. Um, there, was a, there was an officer, a commanding, wartime commanding officer, who was furious when nine GIs who'd been out on a passes failed to show up in the morning for the morning roll call. And they didn't show up until 7 p.m. And when the first guy came in, he says, I'm sorry, sir, the soldier explained, but I had a date and I lost track of time. I missed the bus back. And then um, being determined to get back on time, I hired a cab. Halfway there, the cab broke down. I went into a farmhouse, persuaded a farmer to sell me his horse. This is pretty good. Um, to sell me his horse. I was riding to camp when the animal fell over dead. And then I walked the last 10 miles and I just got here. Okay. Though skeptical, the colonel uh, let the young man off with a, a harsh reprimand. However, after him, seven other stragglers in a row came in with the same story. Had a date, missed the bus, hired a cab, bought a horse, etc. By the time the ninth man reported in, the colonel had grown weary of it. Okay, he growled. Now, what happened to you? Sir, I had this date, missed the bus, hired a cab. Wait, the colonel screeched at him. Don't tell me. The cab broke down. No, sir, replied the soldier. The cab didn't break down. It was just that there were so many dead horses on the road that we had trouble getting through. I love that story. Um, I, don't know, I don't know what excuse you're using church. I don't, I don't know what justification it is. I don't know what your story is, but uh, I, I think what Paul taught us, uh, I think is, is a sub point here, but he taught us that the gospel is not for sale. There, it's, it's freely given, freely received. And, 
You know, Simon the sorcerer was a man who in the early church in Acts, he wanted to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to bottle it up and sell it. Some people would peddle the gospel as if it were a commodity. Paul's saying, I want nothing to do with that. It should be freely given, freely received, but it is precious. Can we agree on that? So it's freely given, freely received, but it's still precious. I think giving access to the gospel should be all of our highest priority. Paul made it his highest priority. We get to see that next week as we study together. Come back next week. I think you're going to enjoy this message where he talks about being all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. So, so, so the question for you personally as you search your heart is, what is it that you're not willing to give up for the sake of the gospel? Is it your reputation? Is it your friends? Is it the way people perceive you? Is it your job? Uh, let's be honest, is it your free time? <laughs> you know, is it, is it your comfort, your preferences? I think by doing that, by, by ignoring that privilege, we can inadvertently put up a barrier to the gospel. And Paul in the text is saying, by no means, I want nothing to do with that. And, and I love that, that he, um, he clarifies this, that that, that this, this heart that he had, Dr. Constable, one of my professors in seminary, puts it this way. He says, this section of scripture gives the reader a window into the apostle's soul. We see what makes him tick. And so what makes Paul tick? It, what makes him motivated to share the gospel of Christ? The, the second point this morning, what motivates us? What should motivate us? We see this in verse 13. It says, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar, share the sacrificial offerings. He's continuing that point. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And I think that he's referencing a teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you even remember that Jesus intentionally told his disciples when they were going into a community to not take their wallets with them? It's kind of a weird thing told them not to take their extra cloak with them. He, he wanted them to go through the humility and also the dependence of trusting the Lord's provision in that context. So, so, so here Paul is saying, I, Jesus taught you to depend on the Lord. So, so I, I've made no use of these rights, but I've made, uh, made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing. Okay, so remember that this is just like the food sacrifice to idols stuff. He's saying, I, I, I don't, I like it maybe, or I need it. It's an important thing, but I don't, I'm, I'm going to choose to set it aside for the sake of others. But I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. Don't get the wrong idea. I'm not here trying to get you to financially support me more. For I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. This isn't selfish pride. He's expressing the motives of his heart. I want to glorify the Lord with my life. Verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I wonder if we have that same sense of conviction Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. It's not about a reward. It's not about, it's just my lifestyle. It's my heart. So that's how a man could go through shipwrecks and say, all right, Lord, are you going to take me now? Or are you going to keep me here and allow me to be a person who represents your loving kindness to a world that needs it? That's a person who could be sick and suffer, be, be in prison and share the gospel with the guy he's chained to. How incredible is that? It's a person who understood, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
Do you understand the, the clarity of his calling, the purpose behind it, the understanding of the necessity of the story? I love this story of a young fellow who wanted to be a journalist in this small community. It would have been a community like Brunswick. Not a ton of things happen that would happen in the town of Brunswick that would make you a star journalist. But one day the dam upstream broke and the town was flooded. He got into a rowboat and he headed out to look for a good story so he could build his career. He found a lady sitting on a rooftop and he tied up the boat and told her what he was after. He was looking for this great story. They both watched as various items floated by. She says, um, she says, now there's a story. No, that's not a story. Finally, the hat floats by and then it does a 180 degree turn. It goes upstream a ways, does another 180 degree turn. And the fellow says, now there's a story. Oh no, that's not a story. That's my husband, Hayford. He said that he was going to go out and mow that lawn come heck or high water. I love that statement. Uh, that's a story. I want to challenge you this morning to recognize that the Lord has given you a voice. He's given you an opportunity. He's given you a message. When we talk about the gospel, we understand it as the good news. Uh, we also understand it as a miracle, right? And so it is, it is something that isn't good news if it is not declared. It is a challenge that, that God has given us. And I I suppose if we want to know what Paul's motives were for sharing the gospel, he says in verse 17, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with stewardship. What then is my reward that in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not, as to not to, to make use of my right in the gospel. In other words, I want to get, allow nothing to get in the way. In a similar context, later in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, you can keep your finger here and turn back to that passage. Um, the Apostle Paul similarly is talking about his not receiving financial gifts from the church, and he gives us a hint as to his motive, and I think it's beautiful. He says this in verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And Why? Because I do not love you? No, God knows that I do. He, he says that his motivation is love. I want to give you a few other motivations that are helpful for us as we consider what it means to be people who pursue the lost. First of all, I think it's important to remember that we've been forgiven, we've been set free, and we have a message to share. So when we say, be prepared in season and out of season to give an answer for the hope that you hold dear... That this is just our story. God's, God's radically changed my life. I want to share it with you. In a, in a similar way, it's, it's a bit like the beggar who's found food. I, I love that illustration that a man who's suffering, he's hungry, he needs a meal, that he finds at Chick-fil-A that they open their door. At I'm sorry I did that on Sunday. That's mean, isn't it? So, so he opens the door in the back of the building. He finds out that they give away all the leftover food at 10 o'clock at night or whatever. That, that that man, once he finds his belly filled, that it would be so incredibly selfish of him to not share that with his fellow beggars, right? His other friends that are in need of a good crunchy chicken sandwich without pickles. Um, that's important to me, you know? Sorry, that was just for free. So the understanding of this is that we are people who've had our lives changed and we want to be people who are quick to allow others to see it. I think it's also appropriate to recognize that we're expected to. 
Paul in the text says he would be in serious trouble with his Lord. Woe in is me if he did not preach the gospel. I think that's important for us. We've been given this gift. We ought to be people who are generous with it. I think it's also important for those of us who are hesitant about sharing the gospel because we wonder if we're not educated enough or we're not experienced enough or we don't know the gospel well enough. First of all, work on it. <laughs> Study to share yourself a workman and prove rightly able to handle the truth. But I also believe that the messenger is not as important as the message. And so um, it is not about what we lack, but it's about what God wants to do in and through us in our step of obedience. So um, I, th I think it's important for us to remember. It's his work. We get to participate in it. He told us he will build his church. And I'm so grateful that he will reward his faithful messengers. And so here we see that, that Paul has shared. I'm willing to set aside my preference, my comfort, my financial gain. Why? Because the gospel is just so important. So, so why don't we share the gospel? I think if we're deeply honest with ourselves, it's, a, it's possible that for some of us, we just don't want to. For, for some of us, we just don't care enough. For some of us, maybe we haven't had our lives impacted by the gospel in such a way that it allows us to, to say Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I pray for you if that's your story. I think that, that for many of us, the excuses that are out there, have you heard this before that most flat tires occur on Monday mornings and Friday afternoons? Have you ever heard that before? Um, it's probably not that they are happening, but it's because of the fact that people um, don't want to go to work on Monday morning. They don't want to go back to work on Friday afternoons, right? We have a reason to justify not doing things. I, I love um, the story of Daniel Webster. He was a powerful orator. You guys know the dictionaries, but um, he gave early evidence of his quick mind and his way with words. One day, Webster's father um, who was going to be going away for the day. He left Daniel and his brother Ezekiel specific work instructions. But on his return, he found that the task was still undone. Dad's frustrated. And he questioned his sons about, why the fact did you not do any of the things that I asked you to? What have you been doing? Ezekiel, his dad asked. Nothing, sir. Well, Daniel, what have you been doing? I've been helping Zeke, sir. <laughs> like that. You know, doing nothing is something that I hope and pray that God can never accuse me of. Doing nothing because of the fact that we've said that we don't care enough, we don't believe it, or we don't understand it, or that we're going to allow other things to get in the way, or ultimately to become hindrances to the gospel. I, I hope and pray for each one of us as we search our hearts that we, we recognize that the Lord has given us a privilege to be salt and light in the community that's around us. We, we want them to encounter us in such a way that they say, I want that in my life. Or even better, I need that in my life. And so, so the, the challenge in that is that it requires us to live in such a way that joy is seen, that we... Uh, live in such a way that others would recognize that we've been born again, that we've experienced what God wants to do in our life. So for each one of us, let's apply this carefully. So if you're that first person, when I told that story of that dodgeball that came in, if you come into the church context and you in that context have been given reasons, whether it's people like me who've let you down or whether it's that there's things that have been said, discouraging, frustrating things, that if you're letting something so small keep you away from understanding the grace of Christ, I want to challenge you, stop it. 
It's not worth it. There's, th- th- there's excuses for rejecting the gospel that are, that are just, they just fall short. And, and I want to remind you, we've, we've been a part of funerals a lot lately. And as I, I'll just share with you as a pastor, when you have the privilege of doing a funeral for a family, it, it becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly if that person loved the Lord, if they lived their life for the Lord, if they experienced the hope of the Lord. And yesterday, this funeral yesterday with Chuck Thomas, one of the things that I, that I recognized as we interacted with him in the hospital and things is, is it was devastatingly sad to let him go. But one of the things that he articulated time and time again was that he was ready to go be with his God, that he understood that God was a promise-keeping God, that God was going to heal him in this life or the next. And so when he said to me, I'm ready to go home, you understand what he's saying is, I understand the gospel and I believe it in such a way that I'm ready to experience that Christ in me, the hope of glory, right? And I celebrate that. I'll also be honest with you that there are times when people, we've wrestled and watched where there's people who haven't lived their life for Christ. They've made other decisions. They've made, made choices that neglected this stuff. And then it just changes the whole dynamic of a funeral. And part of that is because for some people, I can remember, I wasn't preaching this funeral. It was a friend, a family friend that, that I was at this funeral. And it was just a funeral that, that was sad in a deep sadness of misunderstanding. This person had allowed something small. They'd have been exposed to the gospels, but something small got in the way of their obedience and trust the Lord in their life. It's devastating. So I want to challenge you. If you're that person, stop it. This is, it's time for you to receive the gift of grace that the Lord's provided for you. If you're a person who knows the gospel, would you join me in committing to ask the same question that the apostle Paul did? What am I doing that could potentially get in the way of the gospel. And what I love about Paul is uh, there was nothing that was going to get in the way of him representing the love of Christ. He was not going to let anything small be a justification for disobedience to what the Lord wanted to do. So, so I don't want to isn't reason enough. I don't care, not reason enough. It's, it needs to be something that, that allows ourselves to come to grips with the fact that we have been forgiven and set free. The Lord Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you and I can join the Apostle Paul in that privilege to be people who join him in that incredible mission. What a privilege to be ambassadors for grace. And would you join me in that conviction that we would allow nothing small to get in the way of the people who are around us to understand the truth of God's love for them. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your truth. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the integrity of the Apostle Paul as he teaches uh, significant truths to us. And I, I pray, Lord, that as we, we sing the lyrics of this incredible song, it just, it just fits right into what we've been talking about, that, uh, Lord, we, we want to give you the glory and honor that you deserve. We want to allow you to do a work in and through us. And so we thank you and praise you for this truth. I pray that as we worship you, that you'd be lifted high today at Hope Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.